0: Good morning. If you're a parent of small kids, you probably have a lot of conversations with your kids about their behavior. So when we drive to you know, a friend's house, and uh, we, we, we pull the car over, and just before we get into their house, we have some conversations with our kids. We tell them, you know, you got to say please, you got to say thank you, don't grab the other kid's food. Don't act like you've never seen food. You know, look, look somebody in the eye and, you know, when you talk to them and so on. And then the kids go and we go into the friend's house and they act like they've never heard anything before and they just rush and do whatever they want to do. And at the end of the day, we, they, we come back into the car and we have another conversation, you know, what went wrong. And usually it's mostly stuff that went wrong, which is everything. Um, and then the next time we do this, we have the same talk where we, we have a conversation. Don't pick your nose in front of them and don't, uh, you know, stuff like that. And then this happens over and over. The, the hope is that by the 10,000th time that uh, something sticks and they, and they don't chew with their mouth open and so on. <clears throat> I feel that's how it is with God and us. He. Uh, you come here Sunday morning, we, we hear something, or when you read your Bibles, God speaks to you, and then we go outside on Monday and we do whatever we want, and then we come back, you know, yeah, I, I was uh, you know, chewing with my mouth open all week long, and now I'm back in church, and let, let's see. And so, um, God gives us chances after chances after chances. This morning, in a sermon entitled The Silence of the Lamb, we are going to look at a story of second chances. A story of second chances our text is from John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 let's all read the passage together this is from the ESV John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning he came again to the temple all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I've divided the sermon into five parts. In the first part, we will look at the accusation. In the second part, we will look at the silence. In the third part, we will look at the condition. In the fourth part, we will look at the escape. And in the fifth part, we will look at the verdict. I hope to rush through the first four sections and spend a little more time in the fifth section first let's look at the accusation and that's from verses 3 to 5 the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus teacher this woman is caught in the act of adultery in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women what do you say now this was a legitimate accusation it sounds like a real question and it was a real question except that if you know the history of the Pharisees and Jesus they're always trying to trick Jesus in fact it was actually illegal for them to come with a street trial because there were courts for such trials so street trials were actually illegal but what does the law of Moses say about adultery what does it say it says that adultery is punishable by death it doesn't specify exactly what kind of death but it is punishable by death the only time the law of Moses says that it is punishable by stoning is if the woman is the daughter of a priest or engaged in these two conditions it's stoning that is required so then the other question is well if they brought in a woman where is the man where is the father who is probably a priest oh where is the fiance of this woman? we talk about stoning sometimes but we don't really know what exactly happens in stoning in the stoning of Saraya M, a 2008 movie based on the true story of an Iranian woman who was falsely accused of adultery and in this story The husband falsely accused her. He was committing adultery, but he accused her of committing adultery so he could get her off his back. He convinced her dad that she was committing adultery and convinced the village that she was committing adultery. And they brought her outside and stoned her. How does stoning happen? A hole is dug in the ground and the victim is lowered down into the hole, either waist high or chest high. In Islamic cultures, they do the wrapping of the body as if for burial before they put the victim down into that hole. Otherwise, they would just cover the head of the victim and the exposed part of the body of the victim and leave the victim standing there. Then the people would come a little away and start throwing stones at them. And the rule was you don't want to throw small pebbles because that's not going to kill anybody. And you don't want to throw big rocks, because that's going to kill somebody too soon. So by rule, you throw moderate-sized rocks at a person's head and torso until they are dead. And sometimes there can be a doctor among the crowd who will come and check if the victim is not moving. They will come and check to see if if the victim is dead or not and if the victim is dead that's the end of the stoning if the victim is not dead they step back again and the stoning continues until the victim is dead Stephen the first martyr the first Christian martyr was killed by stoning exactly this way they tried to kill Jesus by stoning but the Bible says he walked amongst them and went away Paul was stoned and left for dead the Bible says We don't know if there was a doctor among the crowd to check whether he was dead or not, but they left him for dead. He wasn't moving, but he wasn't dead. They got him and took him out. So this was a serious accusation that they're bringing against this woman, and it is a tricky question, as we shall see. Jesus responds differently than we would think, and he responds in silence. And let me read verses 6 and 8. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And verse 8, again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, they were using this question as a trap. And the difficulty of this question is that no matter what you say, it is a wrong answer. No matter what Jesus said, it would have been the wrong answer. It's like when they brought him a coin and said, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or no? If Jesus said, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, that would drive the Jewish people against him. If he said, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, he would be in contempt of Roman rule. So it was that kind of a situation. Why? Because Jewish law demanded the death penalty for adultery but they could never get the death penalty for adultery because according to Roman law at that time Jews did not have the right to administer the death penalty except in cases of temple violations only if there are temple violations they can do the death penalty so for adultery there is no death penalty even though the Jews want it so if Jesus said yes give the death penalty he would be going against Roman authority But if he said, no, don't give the death penalty, he would be going against Moses and the Jewish law. So it was a tricky situation and the approach of Jesus is very interesting. He was silent. He chose not to engage. I love that Jesus was silent. I love that Jesus chose not to engage. He didn't feel the need to say something every time. If he didn't want to say it, he didn't say it. The thing is, Jesus knew what his mission was. And if you know what your mission is, you will choose to engage or not engage based on what the mission is. There were many people that were lying as invalids when the 38-year-old man was paralyzed and lying there. But Jesus healed only one person. Jesus knew what his mission was. He engaged and did not engage based on his mission. There are many situations that we have to engage. I'm not saying we should not engage at all. We have to engage. Let me give you an example for each. About three years ago, I was invited to preach in Greece. And so it was a four-day meetings. I was flying on my way back from Greece. I came from Athens to Washington Airport, so I got on the plane from Athens and about 45 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes into the flight, we heard a voice over the intercom that said, are there any medical personnel available on the flight? We have a medical emergency. So I raised my hand. Sometimes I don't want to engage, but I can't not engage in these situations, so I raised my hand, I turned the light on and raised my hand, nobody came, so I thought, okay, maybe they found the person and they emergency is taken care of and so I look behind and around me and about five rows back there is a group of people gathered there I thought okay maybe they've taken care of the problem and so let me just stay out of it but of course I can't just ignore it so I got up and went there and there was a 80 year old lady that had passed out she was traveling alone and she had passed out And there was a group of people around. There was a pediatrician, a couple nurses, and a couple other medical professionals that were there. So I listened for about half a minute to see what's going on. And I found that they were just talking over her, and just talking. So I said, well, she's still passed out. So we need to do something. And the person who was right next to this lady was sitting stoically like nothing ever happened. This lady's passed out right on her shoulder. So I said, well, let's get get the center aisle. All these people, please stand up. We need to do something. She's passed out, she's 80 years old. We don't know her medical history. Maybe she has cardiac and pulmonary issues. So let's get the central aisle out of the way. We got her, put her down there, laid her down, asked the nurse to check her blood pressure, and her blood pressure was dangerously low. So we said, all right, she needs an IV. So I started an IV in her hand, and we, we opened up the first aid kit, took the IV bag, We used, somehow somebody found a clothes hanger, and we used the hook to hang the IV line in, and the triangular part, we stuck it into the baggage thing and shut the thing, and so it was an IV line that she had going on, and we kept checking her blood pressure. Soon the the pilot came and said, okay, is she alright? Because what he wants to know is, should we land the plane before we cross into the Atlantic? So I said, well, her blood pressure is uh, stabilized now and she's improving, so I don't think we need to land the plane. He was happy. He left. After her vitals stabilized, we left. Well, I, I asked the, the pediatrician, who at some point asked me, well, should we give her some epinephrine? In my head, I thought, are you serious? You're going to drive her blood pressure up through the sky. No pun intended. but. Um, I didn't tell her that. I said, well, I don't think that's a good idea right now. Let's just give the fluids and see what happens. I had to get engaged there. And there are instances, there are situations as you go through life that you need to get engaged. But there are other situations where you don't need to get engaged. In 2016, six months before the presidential elections, 2016, and for two and a half years later, there is a severe divide, especially on social media. So if you get on social media at any point, if you've gotten on in the last two and a half years, there are arguments that never end well. I mean, when I say never, they never end well. It's like two mountain goats like going against each other, and it never ends. It can go on continuously. So in 2016, I came across this quote, which I liked a lot, and Is anybody here from a Polish background? Polish background? Nobody? Okay. I can read this, but it's not very polished. But but let me just read it for you. It says, Nia cirk, Nia moja malpi, which means, not my circus, not my monkey. Not my circus, not my monkey. That was a great quote for me. To not engage in unnecessary conversation online. I loved it so much. It worked so well for me that for the past year, I deleted my Facebook account. I've never been happier. It's great. When you know what your goal is, when you know what your vision is, what your mission is, there are more things you will say no to and less things you will say yes to. For everything I say yes to, there are about 20 things I say no to. Jesus chose not to engage in this situation, but they ignored his silence and they kept asking him, so he gave them this condition. Verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, Jesus gave them an opportunity to walk away. He kept quiet. He rode on the ground. He gave them an opportunity to walk away, but they didn't. And by law there, the witnesses should be the first ones to throw the stone. That's how it is. If you're bringing a case against somebody, you care about the case enough, and you are convinced of the truth enough that you're the first one to throw the stone. On the other hand, if you bring a false witness against somebody and they find out, you face the stoning instead of the other victim you wanted killed. So Jesus gave them an opportunity, they persisted, so he gave his opinion and his opinion, his response is brilliant because he didn't ask for the death penalty, so he wasn't going up against Roman authority. And he didn't negate the death penalty, so he wasn't going against Jewish law and Moses. But he used the same law that they used to accuse her, he used that same law to show that that they're all breakers of that law. It was fun for them while the spotlight was on somebody else, but once the spotlight was turned on them, they could not get out of there fast enough, and so they make their escape. In verse nine, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. They were correct in their assessment of her sin, She had broken the law. But the comment by Jesus opened their mind wide enough so that they could see that they were also breakers of the law. And when they recognized that, they got up and walked away. And so we come fifthly to the verdict that Jesus gave in verse 10 and 11. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. It says, go now and leave your life of sin. Sin cannot be ignored. And God does not excuse sin. He never ignores sin. The starting point of the Christian gospel is that we are all sinners. That's where it begins. God does not excuse sin. In the Islamic faith, a person goes to heaven because Allah forgives them and excuses their sin. On what basis does he excuse their sin? Just on his will. The biblical God does not excuse our sin. And then Jesus said, has no one condemned you? Well, they didn't condemn her because under the law, they were also sinners. And so they didn't condemn her and we have used the word condemn a lot and so we've heard this word before but let me ask you what does condemn mean what does it mean to condemn condemn is to declare a person guilty and worthy of punishment that's what condemn means condemnation is to declare a person guilty and worthy of punishment it is a legal term it is a declaration of guilt so a victim comes A offender comes and the judge says, you are guilty. That is condemning and decreeing punishment after that. The opposing word in legal terms is the word justify or justification, which means declaring as righteous. Let me give you an example to show the difference between declaring guilty and declaring righteous. Let's say that you're watching a basketball game and in the basketball game you find that somebody has done a foul but the referee did not see it the referee didn't see a foul that took place so he called for the play to continue as usual so even though that person did a foul and is guilty the referee declared it righteous even though it was guilty he declared it righteous and so that is justification Let's say that the play continued, and there was a good play going on, but the referee falsely called it as a foul. In that case, even though it was a good play, there was nothing wrong, the referee condemned that play and called it guilty. So you see, it's not whether there's guilt or righteousness, it is whether it has been declared that way or not. The thing about God is that he is not going to declare something as guilty that is not guilty. He's not going to declare something as righteous that is not right. So with God, the the referee situation does not happen because God is going to call what is righteous as righteous and what is guilty as guilty. So in this situation, Jesus did not condemn her. Jesus did not call her guilty guilty even though you and I know that she was guilty the people in that group were guilty Jesus did not condemn them in fact John chapter 3 verse 17 reads for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through it Jesus does not call us guilty when we are guilty why why doesn't Jesus call us guilty when we are guilty? You would think that Jesus would tell us if we are guilty. Let me give you two reasons why Jesus does not condemn us. First one is that we are condemned already. And I'm going to read five, um, four verses to make my point. Romans chapter 5 verse 16 reads, The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. One sin of Adam resulted in condemnation. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So the moment Adam sinned, death came to him. And the moment we are born, we are sinners. We are sinners by birth, so we are guilty by birth. We are condemned by birth. And if you're a sinner by birth, then you deserve death because Romans chapter 6 verse 23 reads for the wages of sin is death so all of humanity from their from the time of their birth they are walking towards the gallows in shackles John chapter 3 in verse 18 reads whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already The moment we are born, we are sinners condemned. Jesus doesn't have to condemn us anymore. We are already condemned. He sings of his life when James Hetfield, vocalist and guitarist of the band Metallica, gives an account from birth to death and the struggle between birth and death in his number one song, The Unforgiven, from the 1991 album, The Black Album. He sings these words, new blood joins this earth. He's talking about birth. New blood joins this earth and quickly he's subdued through constant pained disgrace the young boy learns their rules with time the child draws in this whipping boy done wrong deprived of all his thoughts the young man struggles on and on he's known a vow unto his own that never from this day his will they'll take away they dedicate their lives to running all of his he tries to please them all this bitter man he is throughout his life the same he's battled constantly a fight he cannot win a tired man they see no longer cares the old man then prepares to die regretfully that old man here is me never free never me so I dub thee unforgiven from birth we are condemned and will struggle through life and will die regretfully if we are unforgiven The second reason why I believe why Jesus did not condemn the woman, did not condemn the people in that that circle and does not condemn us is because a way out was not provided yet. Romans chapter 3 verse 25 reads, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished at the time of the death of Christ every sin that was committed beforehand had been left unpunished from the moment sin entered with Adam to the point of the death of Christ every single sin was left unpunished. The punishment kept getting pushed back and back and back. And everybody's sin was kept forward for the time that Jesus would die. And the same thing into the future. The death of Jesus fulfilled the criteria for forgiveness. So everybody's sin after that is already paid for at that moment but let's go back to that verse in the garden of Eden Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 and the Lord God commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat it you will certainly die as clear as day if you eat it you will die Adam ate it what should happen next let me ask you three questions okay You get 100 points for participation. You get zero points for non-participation. I'm gonna ask you three questions, and you can raise your hands based on these three questions. Did Adam die immediately? Did Adam die immediately, okay? Did Adam die later? Did Adam die later? Some of you still think Adam is alive, okay? Okay? Did Adam die later? Okay. Did Adam not die? Anybody thinks Adam did not die? Okay. All three answers are correct. Did Adam die immediately? Yes. Did he die later? Yes. Did he not die? Yes. Because there are three deaths that are mentioned there. There are three stages of death mentioned in the Bible. There is a spiritual death. There is a physical death. There is an eternal death so the moment Adam sinned he lost fellowship with God God sent him out of the garden he had a spiritual death right away so nobody raised their hands nobody got points on that one later he died a physical death but what happened to eternal death he did not die in eternal death eternal death was pushed back So for every person born since then, we have, because we are sinners at birth, we are spiritually dead at birth. And so the Bible says, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our trespasses. So we were spiritually dead at birth, and we will physically die at death. So we are spiritually dead, We will physically die, but what happens to eternal death? What happened from the time of Adam till the time of Christ? God pushed forward the eternal death. Why did God push forward everybody's eternal death way into the future? So that somewhere between now and that future, He could provide a way out. There was no way out All of us had spiritual death, we will face physical death, and we will face eternal death separated for eternity away from God. But somewhere along the line, as we were walking towards eternal death, God pushed eternal death back all the way far back so that he could make a way. He could have stood back and just let people walk on to their eternal death. But his grace and his love for us was so much that he could not let that happen. And he would provide that way. And to provide that way, the silence of the Lamb was imperative. In this text, Jesus was silent before people that accused the woman correctly. But there would come a time when he would be silent when people accused him falsely. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 62, When the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer, what is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. He was just accused of blasphemy. What is a punishment for blasphemy, you ask? Great guess, stoning. Stephen was accused of blasphemy and stoned to death Jesus could easily have proven his innocence easily he could have proven his innocence but that does not solve the problem of our predicament of impending eternal death all the sins from the time of Adam till this moment was pushed back and unpunished and Jesus had to be silent to make that crucifixion happen there were numerous occasions when Jesus could have been silent and he did let me, let me point to one particular incident the context is Jesus and his 11 disciples now are in the garden of Gethsemane and they had just finished praying Judas and his band of soldiers come to arrest Jesus he betrays, they arrest him They have two swords. The Jesus group has two swords. Peter has one of them. He pulls out one of the swords, swings wildly, chops off the ear of a servant by the name of Malchus. And the moment that happens, this is what Jesus said. In Matthew 26, verse 52. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? If you didn't know, legion is a Roman measurement for 5,000 soldiers that is ten cohorts which are five thousand soldiers one legion is five thousand soldiers so if you're doing the math that is sixty thousand angels that Jesus could have called in a word at his disposal if you read Isaiah chapter 37 it talks of how one angel went out and killed hundred and eighty five thousand Assyrian soldiers in one night one angel so if you're still doing the math these 60,000 angels can kill at least 11 billion soldiers more than the number of people alive today all Jesus had to do was say one word with one word Jesus could have ended his suffering but that would mean that every human being on earth including you and me would have walked to our eternal deaths and so the lamb was silent and he walked to his own death Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7 reads he was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter in that circle of the accusers and the accused they all recognized that they were sinful and they got up and went But when they got up and went, they were still guilty, they were still condemned, and they still had to face punishment. Did they face the punishment? No. Who was going to face the punishment as each of them walked by? So what happened there was, as each person walked away, they took their baggage of sin and condemnation and shame and punishment, gave it to Jesus, and walked away and finally while when that circle was all gone Jesus looked up and said woman did anybody condemn you she said no sir nobody condemned me Jesus said neither do I condemn you so you know what the woman did she took her baggage of sin and shame and punishment and condemnation and death and judgment gave it over to Jesus and walked away because nobody in that circle was going to pay and Jesus did The silence of the lamb meant that eternal death need not be the only option and that eternal life could now be an option for anyone who believed. And so in John chapter 3 and verse 16 it reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He gave her a second chance. He gave them all a second chance. He gives us a second chance. I'm going to invite us to pray and I'm going to give the opportunity for three groups of people to respond to the sermon if there's somebody here who's never come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you're still condemned the Bible says if you're in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation that means for anybody who is not in Christ Jesus there is condemnation if there's anybody still condemned you can pray a prayer after me and get into a relationship with Jesus Christ or if there's anybody who is not able to balance engagement versus non-engagement or if there's anybody who has missed the first chance at obedience God has told you multiple times to do certain things multiple times and we have ignored and ignored and ignored God is giving us yet another chance God is a God of the second chance but he's not the God of endless chances the chances will soon end at some point. If there's anybody here who's never invited Jesus into your life, you can pray this prayer after me. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. You can pray a prayer like this and if it's something that you mean from the bottom of your heart, God will fulfill his end of the promise. You can say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I was born a sinner and I continue to sin. I deserve punishment, I deserve death, I am condemned. Thank you for taking my place on the cross. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection. Thank you for the hope of eternal life. I ask you to come into my life and make me complete. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.